Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus with producer Sanaa Marie. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hey, it's Tim Bashree, on-air radio and television personality, also author of Surrounded by Sin, Grounded by Love, Eight Simple Keys to Becoming a Better You. And I am super excited to be right here with Ina Esco being verbally effective. Hey, it's your girl Candace Rice, a.k.a. Pimp Fry Rice from MTV's Floor Bama Shore, and I am on Verbally Effective with Ina Esco. Latrivia Welch is the founder of the Russian romance genre. She started it in 2010 with her first mafia romance book, Dimitri's Closet. Since then, the genre has grown to include thousands of authors and even more books. She has sold over 1 million books in 125 countries and has been recognized by black author organizations across the nation. Welch graduated from Lemoyne College in Memphis with honors. She has an MBA from Strayer University and hours toward a PhD in criminology from Capella University. She is a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority and was the former president of Beta Tau chapter at Lamornoi College. She is also a board member of one of the largest branches of the NAACP in the country, the NAACP Memphis branch and former president of the Memphis Women's Political Caucus. She is an advocate for women's rights and was the former director of communications for Planned Parenthood of the Greater Memphis Region. She has worked for the National Civil Rights Museum, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, the Memphis Redbirds, and two award-winning PR firms, Trust Marketing and the Carter Malone Group. She has been recognized as Tri-State Defender's Woman of Excellence recipient, Memphis Business Journal's Top 40 Under 40, NAACP Memphis branch member of Achievement, a graduate of Leadership Memphis, and Welch is also the proud mother of three children and the wife of Bruce Welch. They spend their evenings with the family curled up watching movies and enjoying the peace of life. Verbally Effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the Verbally Effective podcast. Don't forget, we got your Ivy Multimedia merch on deck. That's right. Make sure you guys follow me right now at Ina Esco, E-N-A-E-S-C-O on all social media platforms. Also visit the website verballyeffective.com. Get your hoodies, your Henry face masks, your tees today. But let's get started because I have one of my sorors on the Verbally Effective podcast with me today. Now check this out. She is a two-time USA Today best-selling author. Did you 
you hear what I said? Best-selling author, honey. She's also the community relations program manager over there at TVA, and she is the president and CEO of Riverhouse Publishing LLC. I am talking about Latrivia Welch. What's up, Soror? How are you? Sarah, how are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> so good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. I'm so glad that you are joining me today on the Thank pod. You so yes, you look absolutely amazing. And you know, it's been so many years since we hung out at Lemoyne and was doing our thing. <laughs> yes. Got to do it again. Yes, look, the memories. We have a lot of memories. So many memories. <laughs> yes, and especially with our sorority of mm-hmm. Alpha Kappa Alpha, um, just, you know, meeting each other through the Du Bois Scholarship Program at Lamont on College. See, we were some scholars over there. We were true scholars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had to keep that scholarship, baby. Right, we had to right. maintain that 3.8 GPA. We weren't playing exactly. around. Yes, but Latrivia, let's start at the beginning, because you are not originally from Memphis, but you are from a nearby town. Where are you originally from? I am a Horn Lake Eagle. Yes, (laughs) Horn Lake, baby, the Eagles. Okay, tell me about growing up in Horn Lake, Mississippi. Oh, wow. Okay, so back in the day, growing up in Horn Lake was... um, quite an experience, you know, um, where there weren't a lot of people of color um, in Horn Lake, specifically where I grew up at first. So making friends and, um, and keeping them where, you know, you had to make friends immediately, you had to learn how to be diverse, right? I mean, there weren't a lot of girls, so you had to have boys as friends. So it's like <laughs> one little black girl and a curl little uh, black, uh, white boys or or, you know, just whatever you could find until the next door, until a neighbor moved in and then you were able to <laughs> make a right. new friend. Um, it became more diverse as we got older. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning, no, it was it was really hard. You know, my mom was single, uh, a single mom. And so she was very excited about getting us this house, this brand new home. Um, and growing up in Horn Lake was, it was one of those experiences where there was bad but there was also just awesomeness you know what I mean I mean we we had some great opportunities and everybody eventually as the families started to move into this new neighborhood everybody sort of became family gotcha um folks knew who you were and they were going to tell if you got in trouble Mm. um and you know uh the neighbors across the street like my mom had you know her folks they would tell, you know, we saw the trivia and the kids out there were supposed to be out this side of the other, being yeah. fast out there talking to those boys. Oh, uh, of sounds. Right. So, you know, we, we developed a, a really good relationship. And over time, as new people moved in, it really became a community, a family. Yeah. Um, going to high school I and middle school, when I got to middle school, I knew I, was, I wanted to run track, you know, and I ran track all the way through middle school, all the way through high school. Um, it was just my thing. I was the captain of the track team. Okay. You know, I lettered and I just really loved uh, running, loved running until my senior year and I uh, broke a rib. How? Uh, yeah, really. And so then I was like, I'm really smart. <laughs> I don't know that I'll be taking an academic, I mean, a, a scholarship on 
athletics, even though I did receive one uh, to Arkansas State and a couple of others, I ended up a full scholarship to Lemoyne on. Yes, the um, but the whole time I was writing, I started writing short stories, stories in kindergarten. kindergarten. What? Well, my, my first, first story, story was published, published in commercial, commercial field when I was in kindergarten, kindergarten over Alton. That was in this And um, I kept, I kept writing. writing. I received a lot, a lot of, of different awards, awards for short, short stories all the way through school. school and wow. my, my friends and I during um, uh, through uh, study, study, study hall, would, I would pass out the pages that I had written from the previous day. So it was almost like a soap opera. They were, they were reading, reading. and I, I just knew I was wanted to write. So, so when I went to college, college I continued to write. I just remember, you know, I would be in the dorm, dorm, and I would and write all my little stories, and I always had to dream that I was going to publish a book one day, you know, and I really wanted it to be about, you know, love, you know, I've always been one of those romantic types, and I always loved a good love story. Oh, wow. wow. Interesting. Interesting. I, I kind of want to say, I remember, I remember you writing, writing all, all the time in Lemoyne and keeping maybe, maybe a journal with you all the time. Yes, yes I, I really do. Really have tons, tons of journals. Um, sometimes, sometimes when you open those and read them, mm -hmm. you're like, oh my gosh. What? But, but yeah, I kept a journal all the way through college. And I, and I still, still have, have some, some of those books. books. Wow. wow. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah when, when you look, look back, back at some, some of the, the, the journals or diaries that you've written in, you're like, wow. Oh, my, oh my gosh. gosh. Now, now, you know, you know what, I, what else I remember, I remember the trivia? trivia um, when, when I would say, say maybe, maybe I was graduating, but I believe that you were working with the National Civil Rights Museum, right? And tell us about that. So, so um, um, my, my freshman, freshman year, year, I already know I wanted to go into public relations. relations. I, I had my senior, senior year of high school, school I, worked I worked for Dover Elevator, Elevator Company in their corporate, corporate international payroll all, all the whole year. year. And, and because I had completed most of my studies, studies I worked from, from 9 to 5. When, when Dover was taken over by Tyson, which was a German company, I actually went to school, you know, and so... I was like, I, was like, okay, okay, I, I want to go, go into, into PR, PR and marketing, and I met Bev Robertson mm -hmm. my freshman year. Fell in love with her. I just knew that Bev was going to change my life. You know, I knew she was everything that I wanted to be. And then, you know, Howard, the combination of Howard and Bev, I was like, this is amazing. So Bev, I approached her. Um, Michael Washington for, uh, made the connection for me, and I approached her with my resume and told her that I was interested. And so she gave me an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, it was to work um, in our, the fundraising and development department and, and, and in part with marketing on what they call the, the Freedom Award. Mm -hmm. That year, they were bringing in um, Hera Belafonte. Mm -hmm. And I was just so excited about the opportunity. Um, that started our relationship. Um, I started to, and I worked for the National Civil Rights Museum on and off all the way through college um, and brought in some, met some amazing people, um, uh, Bono, uh, President Mandela, uh, President Lekwalesa, Poland, um, just you name it. Yeah. I got a chance to meet them um, and, and, and really immerse myself in a civil and human rights 
um, and talk to people who have really made significant differences. Uh, growing up, I say growing up as a young woman, I was around Maxine Smith and mm -hmm. um, Dr. Benjamin Hooks and his wife and uh, Pitt Hyde. And, you know, I mean, these were people that uh, Beverly just, she pushed, you know, pushed me out there, made sure that I understood the importance of what we were doing, that it wasn't just a museum, that this was in fact still a movement. And that there were a lot of people who were still fighting for equality and equity in the workplace and so many things. And so uh, my, my, my younger years, my formidable years as a, as a young woman were spent under her tutelage, her tutelage and Howard Robertson yeah. over at Trust Marketing. And then I went on to Alsex St. Jude Children's Research Hospital where I developed Stepping for a Cure. You guys supported me. I never forget getting the crew together. Yeah. Um, I presented that to Shadiac on one day on the um, on the elevator um, uh, before he passed. You know, it's like I've got an idea. So he loved it. Said, "Okay, I like it." But you know, he set up a meeting with me and went into the office with my little paper and he said, "I think it sounds great. You should do it." And uh, you guys came out for me, and you know, we we ended up having a Rhodes College, and that was pretty amazing. You know what I mean? So there in also Memphis Redbirds also mm -hmm. you know did the inaugural season there um, we opened the ballpark and worked for um some pretty amazing folks so all through college in between us doing three you know doing our grades you know i, I remember us reading books right remember <laughs> yeah. over in the device scholar um office with mr booker just yes. having a good time really talking about it. remember he said the most important thing is for you to get it right right don't care about the grade just get it the booker so, look and look when his brother became this big political star right. I, I know his brother right they look just alike right and so remember he, at the time his i think his brother was an alderman um or something and so he was really sort of working in newark yeah, trying to get majority. people involved and then all of a sudden, you know, he, he became mayor. And that's when I was following him on Twitter, like watching what he was saying and doing. And next thing you know, boom. He's a senator, <laughs> he's a senator and he's rocking and running for president. Yeah. But I mean, we can see where it came from because right. Mr. Booker was amazing. Yes, you know, he's he was. one of those amazing people who really, you could tell that their family, they, they were definitely forward thinking. Wow. So it was pretty awesome. I was, oh, I was so in love with that program weren't yes, you yeah get a chance to sit around and talk and about yes Yolo. remember he come in all suave and yes. we had so much fun it was so right. awesome look i hope they're still doing those type of uh, you know uh situations that we were undergoing back yeah. then because i know a lot has changed mm -hmm. and lemoyne has grown a lot you know and have gone through a lot of challenges since we've been there over 20 years ago right <laughs> oh my bad <laughs> my bad <laughs> yeah. but you know what <laughs> you talk the trivia um what i do remember is that you have always been full of ideas and you've always expressed yourself and um pitched these ideas that you've had and they've always been different and i love i've always loved that about you <laughs> always now what I want to get into is this whole writing world. Now, I'm sure the, the verbally effective audience can understand, you know, how you became this writer, listening to, to, to your childhood and you've always writing. But, you know, I want to know is how did you get into this entire Russian romance genre? <laughs> 
tell me about that romance okay. russian romance genre right okay so um i have been an avid action junkie since i could watch television you know um bruce leroy <laughs> was like one of my first action heroes, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Sly Stallone, um, oh my goodness, you know, but in watching all of these, The Godfather, any number of shows, I never saw a Black female who was the lead or who was right. the love interest. And so um, in my PhD studies were in um, criminology with a focus on sexual deviancy and organized crime. Mm. And so I thought to myself, I was blending what I knew and having studied that with this really awesome love that I have for action movies and, and where was our space? Because you can't tell me that there is not a sister from here to California who has not seen The Godfather. Right. Not watched Scarface. We know all of the, um, all the lines, but mm -hmm. there's just no place in it for us. And so I was like, I'm one of those people who believes, okay, if there is not a place for you already, then you make a place. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I'd written Ivy's Twisted Vine, which was the largest interracial romance uh, uh, where there was a black male, I mean, a black woman and a white man. You know, it was really, really big, right? And it was based sort of like loosely Lemoyne and Memphis and all of that. But I wanted to do something very different. And so Dimitri's Closet was published in 2010. Now, I had reached out to um, several agencies because I thought that I had a pretty decent track record in terms of sales and I wanted to have be considered. Uh, back then, interracial romance was not something that um, was really heavily uh, publicized. And a lot of the letters that I got from the literary agents was that, you know, that's not a subgenre. That's not an interest. It's not hot. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, basically no. Wow. So since there was no publishing company that would published this, uh, Dimitri's Closet became the first book of Riverhouse Publishing. And our mantra is bold authors, bold statements, because I didn't like the idea that somebody was telling me that what I wanted to write about wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel as though if somebody's willing to take your money, right, then they should be willing to take your ideas, okay. you know? And so fine, if we don't want to do that, then we just create it ourselves. And so that's what I did. I created it. I knew there were people like Gwen Forster, who I, I believe and now has um, passed, um, but she was a great author, um, and some others who had really done some great work and sort of were the godmothers of interracial romance. But I was the founder of Russian mafia, organized crime uh, romance. That meant that you had an anti-hero. You know, it's, you had a very Scarface-like or, or Godfather-like lead. And this Black heroine who was, you know, you know, just strong and powerful and all of those things. And so um, when I first started, I, I published the book. We didn't have a good editor. We didn't have a lot. You know, we were sitting there and I said, you know what? We'll figure it out as we go. Right. If we sell five books, 
We've got promise. That's my that's my thing. If I can sell five books, I'm good. Because right. if I can sell five, I can sell a million. Okay. And so we just we went out there with bad editing and <laughs> did you sell them five books though? We sold five books and we got <laughs> out there and now it's grown. Um the the, the subgenre has thousands of authors and thousands of books and you know uh dimitri medlov and the whole medlov series has grown exponentially and fans every nook and cranny around the world and get love the fan mail and we go and speak and yeah it's grown into like a whole little group of folks they call themselves the medlovians it's really cool we started out with an idea that we were going to elevate women of color no different than us wanting to be in sci-fi, no different than anything else. You know, it wasn't about a political statement per se in terms of the character as it was about just being in the space and wow. us to need, the need for us to be in a space. And so that's where it came from and that's where it is. 30 something books later, um, it's, it's a great, great thing and it's very entertaining and that's all it's there for it's just there for entertainment it's not supposed to change your life it's just supposed to change your mood when you come home from work and you're relaxed and you're on the bus or you know you're on the plane pick up the book and you go to a completely different world wow that's amazing so you wanted inclusion and you created your publishing house because you couldn't get it right right Wow. And so now we represent over 75 authors from all walks of life, all sorts of genres, fiction, nonfiction, you name it. Um, it was just really about giving people an opportunity to be heard on their terms. Yes. Wow. Amazing. Latrivia. Now, you know, your work focuses on interracial romance. How does that mirror your real life? <laughs> it does. I will just say it definitely does. Um, so, as you know, in, in, high, in college, I was in an interracial um, relationship in between other relationships. <laughs> it's college, hey. You know. College, hey. And you know, you do what you do. But, you gotta find um, out what you like, you know. Right, right. You have to explore. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that's, everybody knew that Ivy Smith Divine sort of came out of, out of that. You know what I mean? Um, and wanting to, like, you have to write about or remember meeting this amazing author. She said, you gotta write about what you know. If you wanna be successful, start with what you know, and then you'll grow, right? And so um, that's what I did. Um, but what I also discovered is as I was reading some of the work that was out there and there was nothing against the authors, right? Cause I really, what if they hadn't been there? We would have had nothing, right? Mm -hmm. But I felt as though there were some things that I wanted to share just to demystify the relationship between two humans, which mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. Um, and so I felt like it's not all about he's got money and she's poor and he's saving her and pulling her up out of the yuck. Although, you know, damsel in distress stories always still go over very well. We so you know, we like what we like. We like a little romance, a little, you know, saving every once in a while. But there, there are other things, very strong women who have very strong statements, who've been through things and they're still standing, who maybe are saving the guys at the end of the day. Okay. okay. And so that's what I felt like, you know, I felt like the interracial romance piece was something I wanted to share because I didn't want it to always look like all the sisters were broken. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, that we're highly educated doctors, lawyers, scientists, vice presidents, whatever, you name it, we do it. And so we need to be valid, you know, we need that validation in our own writing. And so what I, what I mean by that is that we as authors have to, we have to create that, that language. We have to create that situation. We have to create that environment. You know what I mean? We have to elevate, elevate ourselves, ourselves and mirror ourselves in our writing. That's how you motivate people. It may not be their cup of tea, but at least put them on the same footing, on the same level as everyone else. And so yeah. um, I think that having been a part of uh, interracial marriage, um, I wanted to convey that these are just people. You know, I didn't want it to seem as though that this is any different, any better. It's just my cup of tea. It's not any different. It's not any better. It's not any worse. It's not all of those different things, you know, that sometimes people get caught up on. It's just two human beings who <laughs> loved each other enough to get married. And now they're going to drive each other crazy till death do them part or till the divorce does, whichever. And so um, that's sort of the storyline, you know, um, and uh, <laughs> now that I, you know, this is my second interracial marriage. Um, this is my third marriage. I, I talk to young women all the time about making choices. Um, and I speak to a lot of women all over the country, you know, about um being okay with yourself and, and, and learning how to stand up for yourself and stand in your skin and be able to make the decisions, whatever those decisions yeah. are. Um, but I really feel so like this is my first marriage because he's my soulmate. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, Man, I mean yeah. so awesome. I love you, Shag. But yeah, I mean, yeah. it's one of those things. Um, and so interracial romance, I've received so many letters from women. I'm sure you have. Who talk about, um, I've never dated interracially. Or I want to be in this relationship, but we are of different political views. And my husband and I are very different in all aspects of our lives. Very, very different. And so talking about that publicly helps other people know that they can endure. Like love will endure, you know. And so it's, it's all about just what we've always done, you know. We've always reached out to the next woman. And, and in our own way, giving her our support. And that's what these books really are an extension of. Sometimes it's just my way of reaching out and saying, no, you had a really bad day. Mm -hmm. I know you got a lot on your plate and I'm gonna give you just a few chapters of ridiculousness. <laughs> <laughs> so you can take your mind off of that and then you can get back to the real world. Yes, ma'am. And, you know, something that you mentioned um, that you were giving your account of what you go through with your interracial inter relationships. And people can relate. They just can relate when you're being real about what you experience, right? Oh, yes, they can. <laughs> yes. Like, give me some real life experience in this book right. so I can right. like nod my head as I'm reading it and like and, and right. concur with you <laughs> now right. it also seems like you know your books are definitely an extension of your commitment to advocacy you talked about women's rights and um you know how does that feel that you know you are on this platform Latrivia and you are really trailblazing thank you um I think growing up with very strong women in my family, first of all, right? 
who always were like, no, it's sitting at the table like, no, no, now let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's where the advocacy first started. Being around very, very strong women in my own family, right? You had to know what you were talking about to win an argument in my family. (laughs) Um, And you had to be a good advocate for yourself or whatever it was that you were advocating for. And then going out into the world and working in a lot of different spaces, um, living in some different places, having been a military wife, um, and uh, you know, previously with an with my ex husband, and um, being a woman in this skin at this time, you know, you look around and you see so many different things, and you really are like, okay, where do I start? How can I help? Um, and sometimes just being a, as a woman, you realize if I can just control what I do with my body, mm-hmm. if I can just be allowed to say what I need to say out of my mouth, if I can be safe just in the space that I'm in, then maybe I can get to the next step. And so it's about just that norm, that it's about the human right of it, of being allowed to be an individual and not necessarily allowed, but demanding it sometimes to be a woman and, and, and just you know, let me move out of my way and let me do what I know I need to do. Yeah. Um, that comes in a lot of different forms. It comes in uh, the, the right to be able to vote. It comes in terms of the right of being able to control one's decisions about their body. It comes in the form of um, the right to, 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 to practice free speech, the right to uh, practice your religion as you see fit. I think that uh, all women, regardless of their political or uh, religious background, that we as women should be allowed to voice our concerns. We should be allowed to be in our spaces. We should be allowed to advocate and we should be able, able to do that in a manner that is respected. Yes. Um, and, and we cannot allow ourselves at all to lower those standards because just 101 years ago, we didn't have the right to vote. A hundred years ago, we got the right to vote. Mm -hmm. Um, And just a few days ago, you know, we saw our first vice president who is a female and also happens to be our sorority sister um, and a woman of color. And what what we have, regardless of political beliefs, the one thing that we have to stand on is that we deserve equity. Mm -hmm. And we deserve to be not only in the room, but at the table. But we have to start telling our young people, our young women that when they are crawling, that you crawl on over there to that table because there is a space there for you. And when you get up and you finally are able to sit at that table, Mm -hmm. we want you to know we've already prepared that place for you. And then it's going to be your turn to make sure that that space is still available in another chair and another chair when the time comes because there's always work to be done. Definitely. And, you know, it it seems that these are conversations that we've been having for so long Mm -hmm. about just a seat at the table for women and equity within these corporations, with our jobs. And we've been fighting for so long and it looks like we are now making headway, right? Yes. Yes. It's amazing. And it's such a wonderful thing to be, um, I don't know that, of course, there's still so much that we are advocating for, yes. so much that we are still working for, but it's good. It's something, I mean, you have to, let's just talk to someone earlier today. You have to stop and smell the roses sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
you have to stop and enjoy those moments. You having this opportunity to bring women together and talk about using their voices, you know, to be verbally effective. We have to celebrate that, you know? Um, We have to celebrate every opportunity. We have to see it and we can't take it for granted. We have to say it. This is amazing. How do we support this? Because that's the way that we continue to control the message and to make sure that we are being heard, you know, it's through these platforms. So bravo to you. Thank you. Because I know you've always been sort of our voice. I remember you coming, you know, and I, in, in college, you were like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. You know, I mean, <laughs> again, nurturing those, um, nurturing those skills where they become a blessing to someone else is always a good thing. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. Sarah trivia. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yes. Did well, you tell I, everybody you used to be Miss Lorna on? You were Miss yes, Lamorna on. They know. Pass the crown to we me. We are both former Miss LOC. Yes. Yes. You, the same year, I'll never forget you. Uh, you passed on. You were the president of uh, our chapter, and then you passed that to me. And then you were the you were Miss Lamorna on, and you passed that to me. Yes. And then um the Student Government Association. You passed that to me. I remember oh, I was the vice president. That's a lot. Remember that? We were doing a whole lot in between. We were always busy and into something, but it was yes. awesome. And look, the grind has not stopped for either yes. one of us. And I'm oh, so no. proud of you, Latrivia. I am I'm so, so proud, proud of you. <laughs> so proud of you. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I, I just pray that, you know, with this publishing house that you've developed, that it continues to motivate, you know, not only everyone, but these women um, just to be themselves. And like you said, you know, speak your truth and have your platform and have that seat at the table. So you are definitely blazing trails, like I said. Now, I do want to talk about this for a second. Um, You are the community relations program manager over there at TVA. Tell me about this role that you have, because I see that, you know, you have always been in that public relations role and that marketing position. You are still continuing to do that. So tell me about that. So, you know, I'm always in the community. Everybody knows I've never left. Um, You know, my grandfather was uh, uh, very active with uh, the A. Philip Randolph Institute my whole life and, and the NAACP and I think that sort of gave me my roots um, in terms of of being active in the community not just them not not just granddaddy but I think he was the one who had the most impact on me Um, and he lived in his house um, gosh for 49 years almost I think Um, uh, he never wanted to move right never wanted to move we tried Granddaddy, why don't you come stay here? You stay there. He would not hear of it. He loved his community. Uh, And so seeing how much he loved his community, how much my mom loves her community down there in Horn Lake, I think community is very important. And I think that I have definitely um, been blessed to have an opportunity to understand what community really is, right? Right? Like truly what it is, Um, especially in Memphis. Uh, you know, you can leave and go away for 30 years and you come back and you're still welcome at home. Um, and so uh, when given the opportunity to share what TVA is doing in that space over at Allen, um, in an area that my family continue, you know, has lived in for so long, 
I was very happy to take on that role because, you know, this is home, you know, and it's, it's almost not, it's not really work. It's just reaching out and, and communicating and being a resource both for TVA and for my community. So I'm really happy to be there and to do that work um, because it's home. And, and, and hopefully we'll have those properties um, in, in Memphis for many years so our grandkids can go and see and be a part of it and you know say this is where so-and-so used to live back in the day and where so-and-so used to live and share that you know and so that's why it's important to me because uh, Memphis continues to be home and it's given me so much mm -hmm. I feel like I owe it you know so much as well Wow, amazing. Um, and, you know, we are both mothers right now. Yes. <laughs> and yes. I know that, that you have a, a, a daughter, a teenager as well. And I know that she is watching everything you do. And she is so motivated and inspired by you, Latrivia. How are the kids doing? They always say when you, um, you can, um, what is the old saying? You can determine the health and wealth of a community by asking how are the kids it's all african proverb is sort of funny <laughs> the kids are fine yes uh but let me explain something to you tierra <laughs> just watch me she critiques everything she's like mom that outfit does not work that does not look right you need to change that so i have you know i used to think i was the fashion maven but i have long learned that that's her job okay. um I know she's a super diva. She's got a lot of different, I, I always told her just to embrace herself, embrace her uniqueness. I didn't want her to be like anyone else. Mm -hmm. What's the point? You know what I mean? If you are being like someone else your whole life, you never get an opportunity to be yourself. Exactly. You know, and that's the reason why you were put here to be yourself, you know? And so what I found about her, she has so many different sides and I love it, you know? She wants to be in the FBI, you know, but she wants to do her fashion and her photos. And she's a great artist. She draws these amazing paintings. And so watching her grow up as a multicultural young woman and embrace all of who she is, um, it's very, very empowering. And then, you know, you've got the 18-year-old son going into the Navy. Ooh, honey, 18. Oh, I see his shoulders, like, growing. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> I then he was a baby. You remember when he was just this little bitty, cute thing? Mm -hmm. And now he's like this big, strong man, you know? Oh, and so, my. yeah, uh, we have a very, I, I always tell people, we have a very diverse um, group of kids, okay? So we've got the United Nations over here. Jordan is a full, strong African American man. You know, um, he used to be my baby, and now you know he's heading up to serve his country. Um, Tierra is multiracial, you know, and uh, super diva. You know, I'm just super diva. She has an opinion for everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, we have an eight-year-old, my stepson. He's completely white. And completely fine in his space. And he, I've never taken him anywhere. He didn't feel un, feel comfortable. He's, mm -hmm. I'm like, we're going to see grandmas over here, grandmas over there. We're going to do do all of it. He's like, yes, let's do this. Oh. And then we have our our last baby, my husband and I, our joint baby together, <laughs> Liam. And he, I carried him for nine months. You know, I had I had bed rest because I had him at 37, right? Really laying up and I'm just like I'm gonna make it through this you know like I'm, I'm gonna make it through you know as the thing is the struggle as women you know we go through we we decide we want to have kids and then sometimes those pregnancies don't 
actually happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like you can't get pregnant, or when you get pregnant, you can't carry to term. All the things yeah. that women have to deal with. You know, we're still trying to be fabulous every day, right. <laughs> but inside we're just like, what's going on? Well, I was like, I'm going to keep this with a man there watching TV, just not moving like the doctor says. Here's this baby, nine months, had my first C-section, and the kid pops out looking just like his daddy. Wow. Oh, but he's got my ears. Don't That's what everybody feel some kind of way when they look like they did. ears. <laughs> I was like, my ears. <laughs> I carried him nine months, and he looks just, why didn't he carry him? Right. Don't um, they make you sick when they look just like they daddy? Just like, like Daddy. I carried him. <laughs> Nothing like mommy. So, <laughs> I digress. I've got one. My oldest son is the only one who looks like me. I don't agree because I know that daughter looks like you too. Look you think she does? Yes. I, I see her all up in you. Yes. Well, that makes me feel good. I'm yes. glad. Yes. Yes. Um, wow. Liam, uh, no, he does not. Nobody has said, oh, he just <laughs> even you. I got to <laughs> see a fresh picture of Liam and I'll let you know, honey. A fresh I picture. <laughs> I need a fresh picture of Liam. <laughs> Look, take a picture on your phone right quick. <laughs> wow. Now, Latrivia, how has COVID impacted everything that you do? What's oh, going wow. On? Okay, so uh, I know my fans have not been happy um, because I have written, but I haven't published anything over the entire COVID pandem pandemic. And why the not? Why, I just took this opportunity to, to just take a break take notes observe you mm. know what i mean um i have like seven notebooks full of my experiences and the experiences that i've witnessed and I, that we've all witnessed but i felt like um being a businesswoman um being an author all of those things were great but i a pandemic is something that doesn't happen very often thank goodness mm -hmm. in the united states and so I needed to stop and I needed to be mom. I needed to reassure my children and reassure my husband that goes out there every day that there was someone here waiting for them, someone here focused on them, that they were the priority in this and that we were gonna make it through, you know, and everybody had a different level of urgency. You know, some, some a couple were very, very scared and the others, uh, not so much. My husband's like, oh, everything's going to be fine. But he needs somebody that at the end of the day, he can come home to that's like, tell me about your day. Mm -hmm. um, tell me what's going on. You know, um, just work through it. You know what I mean? Just talk, talk me through what happened. How do you feel? You know, and so being the mother and the wife, I had to take those roles on first. And I know they were looking for those books. And I promise you the post-COVID books are going to be so much fun. Yes, you're getting a lot of material. I'm already writing. I'm writing. But I felt like more than anything, I needed to be here because they were watching the TV. And, you know, it's like it went from we've got a case to we've got a couple of cases to the kids watching. We've got a million people. Mm -hmm. to, it's You know, and so that kind of, um, urgency, that kind of fear, you have to sort of get in front of it. You know what I mean? You have to let them know, let's wash our hands, you know, let's stay six feet away, let's double mask, but then also let's talk. Tell me how you're feeling right now. You know, don't just go in there in your room and get on your video game. Let's have some conversations. Let's talk about life. 
and what you are experiencing. So COVID for me has been about being a nurturer to the other people. And as a result of that, I have added about seven pounds to my butt. <laughs> you already had a big booty now. Hold on. It has, it has exploded. <laughs> oh my God. But what I also found is that it is going to be a priority. Right? You can write a book about that booty Ooh. girl. Cause you know what you know as a as, as a mom, what's the first thing you do? Oh, we got to get all the snacks, mm -hmm. all the food, and you know I cook. I cook big meals, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, don't worry, we're just gonna make everything okay. So we normally go out to dinner. Mommy's gonna fix steak, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna fix this, and then I mean, fill the table up to like this. And even if you, when you get to a certain age, even if you just taste it, like you see on like Hell's Kitchen, you had a little taster spoon. If you do that just a few times like all the rest of the day you can only have water right <laughs> so as a part of my covid um post-covid um life i'm probably gonna be you're gonna see me running all over the city <laughs> girl, <laughs> running, I, running, i'm with you because i didn't probably gained about 10 pounds i'm looking i'm trying to put my Ooh. jeans on like what is happening <laughs> i have moved to legging you know I, right I just, look you don't want to see like the bottom part of this right 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 you're like right here just just stay right here because I, but yeah it's been funny COVID is COVID has um helped me sort of expand my waistline a little so I've got to get back you know get sexy back we'll we'll work on that yeah, you got your sexy going I yeah, see so you over there and yeah. then yes and, uh, oh, do you have a pantry? I have so much food, right? Every pantry is locked. I'm sure everybody knows this. Like, everybody has a surplus of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Paper towels. Paper towels, okay. And, and the or stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> and alcohol. You know, it's like, oh. So you're like, okay, so all the alcohol wipes went away. And you know, old school. You know, it's like... You don't need the Clorox wipes. You go in there, wash your hands, and you just douse your hands with alcohol. Right. You know what I mean? Sterilize. Right, sterilize it. <laughs> um, so I think that we've learned as a as a community, we'll never be unstocked again. I don't think right. I think all of us are gonna have about 195 cans of food. <laughs> Girl. It's so amazing. yeah, COVID taught me that everybody has an office. This place has turned into a co-op space. So exactly. kids are learning from home. So they have these nice swanky desks and office and monitors in their rooms. Um, and we have community, you know, this, it, it basically has turned into a co-op office space mm -hmm. with tons of computers and, and technology everywhere. And um, yeah, the other thing that I have learned is that during COVID, uh, older people in your neighborhood keep their uh, their yards up quite well. Yeah. And so now everybody's at home and they know people like my, me and my husband who don't do a very good job of it. So, yeah, I mean, the pressure is on to sort of. Oh, my. You know, it's it. true. Because started, we started getting our yard together and it's been so fulfilling, though, since we started. We're working on like we actually have gone. We have done a lot thanks to my next door neighbor who loves to do this work. But what I've discovered, I'm like, oh my goodness, you look out because you're not jumping in the car, right? 6 a.m., 7 a.m., drop the kids off, head to the office. Mm -hmm. And then you look out and you're like, oh wow, that's a nice lawn. What kind right. of bush is that? 
you know, and then you discover some who cheat. I'm one of those. I figured it out. So you're like, even through the rain and the cold, those rose bushes never move. They were fake the whole time. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm going to do that. Look, you said you're going to do that. Wow. You know what, Latrivia, I I think it's so important that, you know, you, you knew to make that decision to take a break. Yeah. You know, from writing and to tend to your children and to your family, because so many people are going through mental issues right now, just processing this whole COVID and pandemic situation. So many people we've lost already. So I I think that's awesome what you're doing. And and I know you're developing a lot of good material for books. So that's amazing. And I just want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for, it's so wonderful. Even though we haven't seen each other in a while, I feel like we just picked up exactly what we We really have. Yeah. But, but look, we really need to get some drinks yeah. soon, too. Ooh, yes. That, that, like, that needs to happen. Yes, and I for just, sure. I know that I've learned how to make these uh, new awesome cocktails. Okay. And, and it's only because of this place I went. So I know the exact place that you and I are going post-COVID. We're going to go have a few drinks at this place and catch up and okay. have some fun. Yes, for sure. And then sure. we can Uber home. Yes, look, we're going to have to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Well, please let everybody in the Verbally Effective uh, podcast audience know how they can follow Latrivia Welch and see the great things that you have going on. Give all your social handles, your okay. website, all that good stuff. Okay. Well, you can visit the website at latriviawelchbooks.com. Um, if you're interested in publishing, uh, we have a full roster for 2021 now. Um, so I think they're getting ready to close the doors on uh, publishing for 2021, but we'll be ready for 2022 soon. Um, you can do that at riverhousepublishingllc.com. Um, and I'm a pretty simple girl. So if you look on Twitter, you can just put in Latrivia Welch. If you put a look on Instagram, you can just put in Latrivia Welch. And if you put it on Facebook, you can put in author Latrivia Welch. I'm very easy to find. And I don't think anyone else has my, my last name, just my first name. So that I'm there available. We have uh, fan groups. So uh, if you're interested in the books, you can join our fan groups. They uh, do all the talking about the books and the fun. And on the website, we not often share when we are having speaking engagements, even though right now, of course, they're all virtual. So yeah. just thank you for the opportunity to you're share welcome. with you. Yes. You know, it's yes. been great. And again, yes. I commend you for such a wonderful platform. It's hot right now and everybody's loving it. So of course you're the bomb. Thank you, Soror. And you are too. Um, like I said, I'm so proud of you. It has indeed been a pleasure catching up today. And we're going to have to do them drinks sooner than later, honey. Yes. I don't know how much, how long Kobe going to be. So I'm coming Double to Double mask. And then, uh, matter of fact, I'll just bring the little plastic thing. Yes. And a little thing I can put the sippy cup. We're going to do all that. Perfect. All that, honey. Yes. Well, the Trivia Welch, it has indeed been a pleasure. Thank you Thank so you. much for joining me today. The Verbally Effective Podcast. You're amazing. You are too. (laughs) Thank you.